Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys Discussing Software. Two Irish guys, the most. This is every time. Every time. Two Irish guys. Thank you, Brendan. This is episode 14. We're going to talk about hostage negotiations today. Very exciting. Oh my God. And here we are sitting in a ro- the same room. First time in three months. We are socially distant. Yeah, I know you can't, nobody can see us, but we're far enough away. Do you know where we should be this week? Denver. Yeah? Denver, Denver. Colorado. Yeah. It's such a shame. At ProcureCon. At ProcureCon, we should be there. We should be meeting all of the people in the procurement industry who are very used to being held hostage, which will hopefully have been excellent guests, actually. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce Willis? No, no, no not Bruce. No, Hostage we got negotiations. <laughs> well, he was the he's the real life version of Bruce Very Willis good. from the United Kingdom. Chris White. Chris he White. Is, Super. We met him at Frankfurt at the ProcureCon conference yeah. in Frankfurt last year. You may remember yeah. he did a cracking job, did a, a role play scenario of what it was like to be kidnapped. All um, oh, right. Yeah. So he was the hostage negotiator for the for Scotland Yard for many years, and we're delighted to have him. So we'll be talking to him in a moment. But Excellent. yeah, we should be in Denver. Time last year we were there was very nice. The Mile High City, <laughs> Mile High. City. You were in the Mile High Club, I think, for the first time. Yeah, yeah I was. that yeah. went down well. Yeah, that, that was just a joke, but yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> were, just in case my wife is listening. Yeah, yeah you were comparing, uh, I think. That you yes, there? I was comparing. Well, I, and I had to do a, a few gags, and that was one of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Denver was some place, and do you remember the the uh, Union Union Station or Union Square was Union yeah, Station? I do it, yeah, it was kind of unusual city, Denver, wasn't it? Yeah, lovely. It didn't strike me as a very American. It wasn't your typical U.S. city. It kind of had public transport, free public transport. It had and trams running down the middle of yeah, the street. Yeah, yeah, tram buses running yeah, down the middle yeah, of the street. Yeah. It had a, it had a real Euro, kind of European feel to it. Kind of, mm. you know, you'd like to be back there now. But also, you know, it reminded me of because actually, not long afterwards, I was in Japan last year. As you may right. remember, I went over to Japan with the family, and uh, it reminded me of Japan. I met I met a French guy of all people in Japan very early on over there. And he said, "In so unlike Europe, where we actually, you kind of stay away from the train stations. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. usually not always the nicest part of town. Now, there are some cities that there's an exception, but most cities you kind of, the train station isn't always the nicest part of town. So you kind of go away from it. And mm-hmm. um, in Japan, actually, that is the hub of activity. Right. Yeah. So all the cafes, shops, restaurants, they're all around the train station. Okay. You know, yeah. I got awful grief from my family actually at the time. <laughs> every se- as soon as I heard that, every city we went to, I was all over the train station. And in one city, we didn't actually Hiroshima. We didn't actually leave the train station for, for, for three days. <laughs> yeah. I, I kid you not. Yeah, so it's kind of be it's kind of opportunity. We're talking about. Yeah. Um, we may be back there though. It might be uh, right in thinking that it might be running the in the fall. Yeah, in yeah. in the in, in October sometime. I think so. Yeah, it's on. It's yeah. currently on. And actually, I was reading recently about conferences in general. Speaking mm-hmm. of conferences, that the biggest conference company in the world, uh, whose name I can't remember, but I saw it in, the, in one of my news feeds, they're starting to open up in Asia. Right. So okay. now I know there's there's been some change to the coronavirus news out of out of the US, mm-hmm. um, out of the out of Asia, out of China recently. But yeah, uh, yeah they're yeah. they're beginning to start conferences. So. Yeah, you just, know. just just when we're getting used to doing them online, we did the ITAM review one online yeah. last week. I did a couple of webinars. If anybody's interested in listening to those, the third one is the best one <laughs> of the they, three. They're just, they're just not the same. They're not the same. They're just not the, the same. The virtual booths don't work for me. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to hear what Chris has to tell us. And he's been 
recently on the BBC talking what it's like to be locked up in the in a kidnapping sense, but in a, in a COVID-19 sense. Before we do that, we might just, there's been a lot of, lots of stuff happening. There's I mean, we've got to talk on. about the mega vendors, the softer vendors. We've got to talk about our favorite person. I know, topic. I know. IBM, come on. What have you got for me? It's just the mega vendor that keeps on giving, you know. Yeah, it's great. I was, I, you know, we do a lot of reading, as you know, and there's a lot of stuff out there. But it's, it looks like they're back with the big axe again. So, you no know, way. swinging the axe and reducing staff. So it looks like Arvind Krishna is carrying on the tradition of letting people go across the organization. And, uh, and of course, carrying on the tradition of not actually telling the market exactly what they're doing and how many people be affected because that's anti-competitive. None of the other vendors who, who, who make you know cuts to their, to their employees don't tell the market, but, but IBM like to keep it secret. But I learned a new term this week. Yeah. If you're, if you're getting RA'd, Oh, in IBM. Or a D. R A. Apostrophe D. Apostrophe D. So almost a three-letter acronym. Yeah, it's resource actioned. Oh, that's not a good thing. Oh, it's not. <laughs> no, no, it means you're being laid off. So it's all the rage in oh IBM at the God. moment. Oh yeah. And how many did they let go? Well, the speculation is that that this could be one of the biggest reductions in a decade. So potentially up to twenty thousand people. Oh, and thousands of positions eliminated last month in the U.S. So people are getting emails saying. Congratulations, you're on the list. Oh my God. And if you're not anything to do with the cloud, if you're on prem, if you're not on a cloud program, basically, and it, and it does appear that the old tradition of IBM of picking on slightly older workers is also apparent in this latest round. So, he is the Grim Reaper, actually. Yeah, it's not pleasant. It's yeah, not... I mean, there's a Facebook page for, for some of this activity, and <clears throat> I've been reading some of it. And some of the stories are, are kind of pretty harrowing. Like this, I read a story of a 55-year-old guy, 55-year-old in mid-July, 30 years and four months service, 30 mm. years and four months, eligible for retirement, and he's been RA'd just ahead of his retirement age, which means he's now wondering are his various rights and entitlements that he would get, have in relation to his pension and his benefits. Oh, that's nasty timing. And they're basically saying, that's nasty you know, timing. I wouldn't be holding out much hope. So he's raised, he's had to raise a ticket with HR. And they're investigating it. So this is the stuff that's going on. I can see this online. So it's not pretty. It's not pretty. So twenty thousand jobs. That's like. I mean, I'm, I was a few. There's been a, quite a few articles about numbers of jobs being lost. I mean, obviously across the board, it's in the mil, it's in the tens of millions. But in technology alone, I think there was over a hundred thousand jobs lost in April. Maybe fifty thousand. I mean, I know technology in general has been yeah, quite yeah, good. Yeah. But actually, there's been the traditional vendors are are under pressure. Um, I also saw some numbers out of Australia. Um, I, IBM announced, I mean, they announced yeah, their yeah. global numbers for 2019, but some of the individual country numbers are coming out now. And they lost, I think it was a down, down 30%. Revenue down. Uh, 300 million, million, actually, 300 yeah. million dollars. But actually, what was really interesting about those numbers, they had in there, they had the their cloud and cognitive software numbers, which is basically their software revenue, okay? Mm -hmm. When everybody else is growing and industry is growing, in 2019, that was down 14% in Australia. Now, the Australian economy did not contract by 14% Mm -hmm. in 2019. Mm -hmm. Now, I know the Australian Australian economy has been in in, in a little bit of difficulty, but it's been booming for many, many years. Its growth has slowed down. But that's that's a re- there's there are some really really bad signs at the end. Yeah, the RA the RA ness has spread to Australia as well. But uh, but there's a there's a positive side to that. You'll love this that while you're being RA'd, 
down in Australia, which is resource action, as we said, you can still be rewarded for up to $4,000 for referring new hires. So there's a, you know, silver lining for everybody. So who are they hiring? Well, if they're, they're hiring younger people who have more cloud skills, presumably, than the people that they're letting go, which are older people who are, you know, in the, in the GTS, GBS business line. So, uh, yeah. So can they refer their own family in? They, maybe The older refer, guy's going out. Maybe you could refer yourself oh. back. I don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, so, um, and what else have they been up to? Oh, my God. What have they not been up to? I suppose what they've been doing as well, I read, read this recently. So effective the 1st of July, and this one seems to have slipped on the radar a little, little bit, but in the Passport Advantage program, and I know they change it all the time, and they change it without telling people, uh, but what they're doing now is they're removing uh, many of the benefits to the entitled discounts that you, you might get on a number of the products. So as mm. you know, they've got tens of thousands of part numbers across multiple products, but for about for a select number of those products, that are traditionally deployed on-premise, they're essentially removing the discounts. So as you know, you might get band J less a percentage discount on a new license, but yeah. they're essentially removing the discounts. There are no longer going to be discounts. Hang on. They've just scrapped their whole... I mean, the whole purpose of that program was loyalty. to reward loyalty, <laughs> loyalty and long-term spend by their clients. Yeah, well... This is That's for it. A, no, it's for a select number of products. Oh, okay. 7,700 to be precise. So, I, And there's a spreadsheet online if anybody uh, dares to have a look at it. And what and sort I, of products are you talking about? Well, we're like, talking about AppConnect, MQ, Netcool, Rational, WebSphere. So some Bionet, of the old Tivoli and WebSphere Manager. products. I mean, you could pick a product. I mean, lots of yeah, traditional yeah, yeah, products yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. lots of other products. So 7,000 of them across all the various bands, D, E, F, G, doesn't really matter. So now they say existing renewals. Yeah. Very careful with their work choice of words here. Existing renewals are not impacted. I don't believe this. But once you've renewed next year, you lose yeah. your discount. So, you know, consider the long-term consequences of that. And that's obviously IBM not really caring about its customers. And it's really just leaving the legacy behind. It's just, yeah. it's yeah. scrapping the legacy and it's moving to the cloud. It's letting go of employees and it's also scrapping the discounts. Yeah. But not only that. What else? In the final piece of news for IBM, the, the, the partner channel, the BPs that bring the business to IBM and that do a lot of the renewal business. Well, if you're a BP and you're used to getting 9% or thereabouts yeah. commission, from what I understand from talking to a few BPs recently, that's been cut from 9% to 4%. So 2% if you bring in the renewal and another 2 if you bring it in on time. Now, that's for an incumbent BP. Otherwise, it's down to 1%. So... There's a lot of change going on there. I mean, they gave away, they sold off, they gave away, sold off. I mean, it was for pittance there. Uh, quite a range of products, as you know, last year, the HCL. I, uh, I, wait, the, what the stories we're hearing back from the end users, the IBM users we talk to all the time, that HCL, who's, who's, an, who's an excellent company, but their service they get given their, their the IBM software clients is appalling. Partly because actually IBM never handed over apparently some information to them. So there's been, that's what we're hearing back from the clients. Yeah. So it's a big mess there. And I've heard that they're potentially going to outsource. Rumor on the street is they're going to outsource their PMR, their troubleshooting part of their help desk mm. software for all the products, not wow. just for the products that they've, I mean, obviously they've sold off products, but do they still have a relationship already, which we know around Informix, but for all the products now, they're going to outsource the, the PMR management yeah. for the tickets. 
So I just, just take HCL. HCL, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so if you're an IBM customer, you got some challenges there. I mean, I think legacy is catching up with everybody. I mean, I saw recently just to get off the point of IBM, we got to talk yeah, about a few. Yeah, yeah. We would look at we we struggle to find some bad news about Microsoft, but there's not. Yeah, this isn't necessarily bad news, but it's about the past catching up with you. And this is part of the problem IBM have. Their past is catching up with them. They didn't look after their, their clients. They didn't invest in areas where they should have invested, and they've been kind of. You know, we'll talk to Chris about this, holding their clients hostage and relying on that mentality to actually continue to get revenue. And that, that ultimately fails. You know, Microsoft, for example, had a legacy of massive distaste for Linux. You may remember in 2001, uh, Steve Ballmer was all over the news, did an interview uh, where he's called Linux the cancer. <laughs> malignant cancer i mean what a, what a term to use about anything to be honest with you but he, that's what he called it i mean it was a crazy thing to say at the time but now they've actually just brought in a piece of open source code to do what is it described as it is if i get this correct it's an open source package manager for windows it's actually an open source piece of code apparently the guy who wrote it a guy called kivan beagle he was actually I'm not pretty upset about it because it's open source software but he didn't get any recognition uh, for it. All right. so you got this kind of legacy stuff given out about things that should have actually you know things that in the past catching up at you and that's exactly what's happened with ibm fortunately microsoft have managed to move into the into the into the cloud far more successfully yeah yeah i mean far more successfully than oracle for example i mean yeah, I think another talked, one who's been a disaster yeah. yeah i think we talked about in our last podcast microsoft's revenue was up 35 billion so up 30 billion quarter on quarter oracle did announce their revenue for q4 yesterday um and it's uh 10.44 billion so down six percent year on year so microsoft revenue increasing quarter on quarter and their last announced by five billion wow. oracle down six percent year on year is that across the board well no i mean it's, it, it you know looking at what the analyst you know reading what the analysts say they say look it's again against a backdrop of highly supportive software spend in the environment like so if you look at amazon if you look at microsoft so so they're booking the trend the yeah. other vendors are, are doing far better their share price dropped four percent i think in after hours trading and their their shares are they're up okay they're up three percent of the year but not compared to the nasdaq composite which is up ten percent year mm. over year uh, so not performing so well Compared to our to Microsoft, as you mentioned, which is I mean some some well. some of the, the the we talked about in the last podcast uh, with David Hull, we talked about some of the the online conference companies like Zoom, mm. the usage and obviously share price of those companies. Are, are there other companies that are are, are moving? I mean, I, I mean, because sounds to me that the mega vendors are in decline. Who's going to take their place? Who? Which, what are the companies coming through that are going to replace them? I mean, we obviously yeah, know about the the, the 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 very big tech. The Googles and the and the Amazons, yeah. etc. But who's coming up the traps to? Because I mean, these guys are dropping down all the time in terms of market cap, in terms of yeah, well, uh, we've revenue. Seen the, we've seen the you know with the coronavirus, everybody going online, everybody mm. you know working from home. So the likes of Teams, the likes of you know the, the subscribers to Microsoft Teams, the subscribers to Zoom, which, which actually has now opted for some of the Amazon, uh, sorry, some of the the Oracle cloud services. As of last quarter, we talked about that. So this shift to working from home and not being in the office means that various cloud and productivity solutions are doing well. You know, one that stands out in the last few days is DocuSign. So DocuSign oh, yeah. uh, is getting ready to replace United Airlines in the NASDAQ 100. So it's reached kind of revenue highs as of during the week, expects revenue over of over 1 billion in the current fiscal year. Their share price is up about 9%. 
So it's doing well. It's, yeah. it's getting into the Nasdaq 100. But apparently, it's still making a loss. I don't. I couldn't find out as to why they're loss making, why they're still making a loss. But the revenues are up, and their share price is up, and they're at an all, an all time high. So some positive. That's news incredible. There. A billion, uh, sorry, billion in revenue. Billion in revenue for what they do. I mean, I obviously and, don't know much and, about what. And they... still loss making. Well, I yeah. mean, we've been seeing an increased use of DocuSign here. Yeah. We're signing various documents all the time. You know, wet signatures. I haven't seen the invoices yet. I've had one customer say we still have to do wet signatures. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. Well, the well, the world, the, the world is changing. The world is changing, and sometimes it's actually not changing. I saw Pricewaterhouse Coopers released a report there saying there's they expect a seven percent drop in the like, sorry zero growth in the soft industry. So there's they actually reckon what's going to happen here. And we had this with uh, two podcasts ago with Martin Thompson mm. from the Irish Chamber Review. Uh, what he told us at the time, he said there is going to be a shift. Because he saw it in 2008, the minute the the the, the, the recession settled, as we got a visibility, what was going on, the tech the tech vendors, particularly software vendors, went after their clients and ought to audit them. Yeah, yeah, revenue and, replacement. Yeah, and it's exactly exactly what these guys are going to do again. I mean, it's it's quite clear that they're going to go after these guys, and that's a worry. That's a worry, and this this brings it back. Actually, it's good that we have Chris. Chris White on, uh, with us here. Chris is a former negotiator with 20 years experience with Scotland Yard. He is a former risk manager with a number of very high profile companies. And he owns a company called Negotiations for You, a consultant. But uh, most recently, Chris was on the BBC with mm. Kay Adams. I don't wow. know if you watch the TV at all. BBC have a very good program. Well, ITV have a program called Loose Women. Right. Uh, and it's a daytime program if you're ever home working from home. I work from home more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, he was interviewed by, by Kay. Chris, I believe you're with us. How are you? I am. I am, uh, Tom Orson. How are you? Lovely to see you both in the same office. It makes a change. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can see each other. Obviously, the listeners can't see, can see us, but we're here on on a Zoom, the two of us are, as you can see, it's we are the two metres apart, so you can yep. verify that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, always yeah, very careful talking to an ex, an ex-police an ex officer, even an ex-police <laughs> officer, you know. As, yeah. you, as you know, Chris, you may remember my father was in the police force, so... Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I mean, what a career he must have had in, uh, in what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and a, a small correction for you, Tomas. It was thirty years Scotland Yard, not twenty years Scotland Yard. Oh, well, I was, you look so young still. <laughs> 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 yes, thirty years. Apologies. Yeah, yeah. So you've been listening to the conversation, Chris. We, we've been talking. We talk a lot about this on this program. One of the topics that comes up quite a lot on our podcast is the whole area of of software audits. It has traditionally been quite a significant source of income for the software vendors. And as you can imagine, that that really is, is the sort of thing that is, it sounds to me as a layman, you know, you, you've dealt in, in situations where, I mean, how often does the, ho- the perpetrator of the hostage, uh, the kidnapping, how often does do they come out looking well? They don't really do that. Well, well- it's an interesting, I mean, I'm sure, you know, probably people listening must be thinking what on earth has hostage negotiation got to do with a conversation, a chat between two Irish people around uh, software and mega vendors and all and all that kind of stuff. And because mo- most people, when they hear the word, you know, hostage negotiation, they make that leap to the Hollywood movie. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that's part of it. That's part of it. Headsets and all very secret and covert. And, you know, that that is one small part. But um, in actual fact, there are so many crossovers with with what 
I do, uh, still do and did um, with my partner and, and relatively few other people globally. Um, I mean, to answer your question, the truth is the vast majority actually come out well, but you have to be very careful with the word well, because, you know, that's a, it's a subjective thing. I mean, with any hostage taking situation, it's obviously going to be a, a highly traumatic experience for not just the hostage, but for families and loved ones and lots of other people. I, I would say that the vast majority of those people come out well. To your point about, well, relatively, it's going to be traumatic. There's going to be psychological difficulty and sometimes some physical difficulty. But generally speaking, come out and go home, which in the context of what we're looking for, you know, is, is where everybody wants to get to. To your point about the hostage taker, well, it, it very much depends on what the motivations were. I mean, clearly, hostage taking is a crime. Sometimes it's kidnapped for ransom which is far more common across the world than lots of people might think. Fortunately for businesses and traveling business people, the probabilities are fairly low because we build, um, build in good systems and processes. Terrorism, for example, is a very different motivation where money, money may not be the, uh, the solver of the problem uh, because it's ideologically led. In this day and age, we talk about you're in the technology business. Technology is open to kidnappers and terrorists and extortionists just the way it is to you at Origina and me with negotiation for you. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a small question with a very, very big answer. Obviously, some kidnappers are arrested, you know, quite rightly. Others are never traced because you're dealing with them sometimes. I mean, the last response that I personally did, um, I was dealing directly with kidnappers and they're on another continent. All right. um, and quite often as well, the orchestrators of a kidnapping or hostage-taking situation, because there can be a difference between those two things, they can be in different places. Um, the capabilities of these people is significant. The, the kidnappers may not be co-located with hostages, for example, you know, to, to spread the risk. You know, these are, very often these are business people. And just the way uh, you would spread risk or an insurer would spread risk, so do kidnappers and hostage takers, mm. uh, because they have a very clear idea of what their business is and they have a clear idea of what they want to achieve. Yeah, it's probably a bit unfair, really, then, to, to compare uh, the, the mega vendors to, uh, to the sort of hostage taking that we're talking about in your previous line of work for 30 years, because clearly what they're doing is not a crime. So to, the, to those people from time to time, though, it does feel like, a, I guess, uh, some sort of capture situation. That's that's how it's how it's being felt. Quite a different one because at the end of the day, those people who feel captured only work in the business and they're able to to get up and walk away. In in the situations you dealt with, are clearly the the stress levels and the realities of those is far far more serious. There's no getting up and walking away from this. I mean, you must have learned many lessons from this and. Yeah. You know, what, what are the sort of lessons that you reckon, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, you know, it is a, a, a much, much milder version of a hostage taking than you've been involved in. But I would imagine there's, there's some, there's some of the same lessons could be, could be applied. Oh, w without a doubt. No, no question in, in our mind at all. Um, there, the, yes, you, you could be right. I mean, we're not talking in business necessarily, I hope anyway, you know, sort of consequences of life-threatening situations. No. However... There are significant parallels in how we move through a situation 
And there's some real bedrock stuff here in terms of the, where we aim to go is to establish things like, and they're common words, but they're very rarely followed through, is to establish things like trust, rapport, relationship, effective communication. And very, very often, and this was the focus of a lot of the media work I've just done, and all right, that was talking about lockdown and people felt hostage there too. And I'll, I'll expand on that word in a second. But we invest a huge amount of effort in establishing trust, rapport, relationship. And how do we do that? We do that through a process of really, really listening. And this is the key one, empathy. And that can be a business empathy just as much as it can be a personal empathy. And that's a really difficult question because I, I, I often ask audiences, can you empathize with another party who you don't like or you may find their behavior or their practices distasteful or abhorrent even, but you have to work with them mm. and you, you have to deal with them. And you have to deal with them in order to get, a, get to a point which even temporarily is equitable. Now, is it possible to empathize with those people? I would strongly contend that it is. Uh, I've had to empathize or gain some empathy with some pretty distasteful behavior people. Uh, as you can well imagine, both organizationally uh, and, and, a, and on a personal level. So in order to achieve that empathy, we have to work very hard. You, you will never influence somebody unless you, unless you have a power of sanction. And maybe, maybe to your point about mega vendors, you know, they, they, uh, I have a phrase that says, you know, when you view, when your only tool is a hammer, you view every problem as a nail. Mm. Very true. And, and, uh, yeah, and and that happens in in you know domestic situations. It happens in hostage situations, and it happens in business. If there's only one approach to an issue, then that's the approach that will be used. So we we seek to to have a much much uh, fuller toolbox, if you will. Um, we don't want to use the hammer. Sometimes you have to, but you won't influence and persuade anybody unless you have trust unless you have empathy both ways and unless you have a rapport and what people the sorry thomas you were going to say something no i just i, I wonder would it surprise you that in the industry where we work in the industry we're in that in many cases our prospects and clients tell us and what we see regularly in the market that the mega vendors lack trust <laughs> of this definitely lack of trust between the client and the, and the, and the mega vendor there's certainly yep. a lack of rapport and relationship is broken down because, as we talked about earlier, the number of people they've let go, the people who had those relationships, they're no longer there. And when an organization is only interested in cutting costs, it forgets about the customer. Their effective communication and their listing skills are probably as low as they've ever been. It might surprise you to know that's they're the sort of things we actually hear all the time. Yeah. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me one jot. It's something, it's something when I go into um, businesses and talk about more effective business communications, you know, it's, it's bizarre to me sometimes because when you look at this in the, in the round, you know, we are all, the, the two of you guys sitting there, anybody else that we work with on a daily basis, well-educated generally, generally fairly emotionally mature, pretty solid, 
you know, people who have ambitions and they're able to work through life. We all have our problems, of course, but you would say that the majority of people we meet, are they good communicators? Yeah. Yes. Are they good listeners? I ask an audience, who thinks they're a good listener? And, you know, generally speaking, 50% will put their hands up. The other, the others, the other 50% are a bit nervy. And then, and then I'll say, do you think you could be a better listener? And of course, everybody puts their hands up. The truth of the matter is, generally speaking, people are very poor at listening. There's a, a phenomenon called autobiographical listening. And you will know these people when you speak to them. You may even work with some. They may be in your family. That you know, when you're, when you're talking to somebody, you know that they are only waiting to say their piece. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not, and you've probably done it, and I've done it, but they're just waiting. So they're not listening at all. It's kind of a white noise until they can step in and give you their version of it. I call it the black cat syndrome. If you've got a black cat, they've got one that's blacker. If you've got a white cat, they've got one that's even whiter. You went on holiday, they want to tell you about their holiday. And they're not listening to you at all. Mm. And what they're doing is, and this is really key, and it goes, to, it talks to the mega vendor, the client. What they're doing is imposing their agenda upon you. And they are going right to a solution. They, don't, they might not know whether that solution is appropriate to the requirement because they haven't taken the time to find out what the requirement is. Yeah. In a hostage situation, domestic situation, and I have to say, broadly speaking, very broadly speaking, I know this is, can, can be controversial waters I'm about to step into, but broadly speaking, at a personal level, women are better than men at this. Mm. Generally, go to empathy and listening a little bit more readily. Why? Because men generally, and this is a bit of a Venn diagram, I'm not saying it's, there's, a, there's a, a binary line here, but businesses and, and men in domestic situations and professional situations like to leap to a solution. I, yeah. I, I, know, I would venture, if I went for a beer with you two guys and I had a problem, I can almost bet that I'll get two solutions to my problem fairly quickly. Yeah, pretty guaranteed. They'd be good ones, though. They'd be good, too. Let me finish telling us what the problem was. We'd have the solution before you got there. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yeah. So I know that I'll get, you know, Tamors might say, well, what you want to do is, and then someone else will come in and say, well, no, 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 don't listen to that. What you want to do is. Then yeah. Michael will come in and say, no, forget both of those, what you want to. Now, what you're giving me, of course, is your solution to the problem as you see it. Yeah. Now, with, with negotiation, whether it's hostage or business, we want to be able to really understand what the requirement is. So you say to me, that sounds like a nasty problem. I don't know what that feels like. I had a similar problem and it was awful. Yeah. Now, now, now we are communicating because I am, I'm getting the sense that you are actually trying to listen to me and empathize with me. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in business. And I can almost guarantee it doesn't happen with your mega vendors and your clients. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. The, and, and so Chris, I'm curious, right? So with that in mind, you've got, you know, in your situation, you've got the hostage taker and you've, you've got the, the victim and everybody yeah. knows their role. So the victim knows, you know, I'm, I'm being held hostage here. I'm being held to ransom. The, the hostage taker knows what they're doing. In, in the case of, let's say, a mega vendor and, and the client, the client probably feels like they're a hostage. They've lost that trust, the relationship. Sometimes I don't think that the, the hostage taker, in this case, being the mega vendor, 
that they realize that their role, I think they think they're just doing their job. You know, they're coming in to do the renewal or they're coming in to negotiate, a, you know, a new three-year contract. So the client knows they're the hostage, but the other person doesn't realize what their role is. They haven't realized actually they're behaving like the hostage taker. How do you then, you know, bring them together to, to do what you said, build the trust, build the relationship, get the communication and make yeah. sure each knows their role. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I wish I could wave a magic wand and say, say this, but um, unfortunately it doesn't work like that. Um, but yeah. what, I, what I can say, what, what I would say is that there are parallels here because when, when you've got that person uh, who's a hostage, the way they feel, and, I, and I, I know this from, you know, hundreds of hours of debriefing people that have been exactly in that situation and indeed their families. There's a, there's a process, there's something that happens to people. And basically, I don't want to get too psych over it, but th there's a, a model that we still refer to. It's quite old now, and, and there are others, but it was called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it focuses on, many people will be familiar with it, but it focuses on our basic needs as human beings. And it moves through a hierarchy from you know needing food, shelter, and warmth through to relationships, through to what is called self-actualization, ambition. You know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but, you know, there, there is some crossover. And I've done plenty of academic study in, into that kind of world. And I think there are some parallels in as much as a hostage has those basic needs stripped away. They feel completely isolated. They don't feel clearly that they have any skin in the game. They have no influence on what's going on. They feel powerless. They are being controlled. They are utterly, utterly subservient to everything that's going on, and they're cut off from other communications. Now, that is, a, that is a very debilitating place to be. So what we do with people when we're doing training uh, for you know, businesses who send clients or staff to the more risky areas or low infrastructure world is we, we talk through how to, even in captivity, how to actually try and bear in mind, we're, talk, we're dealing with human beings here, so there's no hard and fast, but how to try and regain some of those basic needs, even in captivity. And, and we go through a process of some of the tips and techniques that can do that. And, you know, some of the, uh, it's simple stuff like personalize, have eye contact, say please and thank you, accept food. Now I'm talking in the, in the you know, the, the hostage context here. Yeah. Accept food, seek medical help. There's an interesting phenomenon here that if I was holding Tomorse hostage um, and he cut his arm or we'd given him some, you know, we'd knocked him about a bit in the, case, in the course of taking him. If I, as the hostage taker, administer any kind of first aid, however minor, it makes it a little bit more difficult for me to hurt you anymore because we now have some kind of emotional connection. Now, very professional kidnappers etc etc they they will avoid doing that to to absolutely to avoid that emotional connection but it, about this humanizing personalizing pleasing thank youing uh, accepting help offering help it it slowly begins to create an emotional connection and i and i very often see that emotional connection completely devoid in business relationships and i think there's a lot of work that could be done so I won't have the answers now, but I think there's a there's a discussion there about the customer, however large themselves, feels hostage, feels that those those basic needs, if you will, which will be very different from a human being, but they will be there will be organisational needs. They've been stripped away, 
So how using some of the techniques and being creative about some of those techniques, about reaffirming some of those basic needs of the organization with the mega vendor who may, know, who may have no concept of how that customer is feeling may begin to actually humanize, build a relationship, recognize that people are behind business still, even though we have a massive shift towards being online. But building that relationship and build, starting to build a degree of trust and empathy. And that's so important. And it's not a, it's not a fluffy concept. It's a very real concept. You know, have I, there's, a very, there's a lovely um, equation that I have around trust. Do I, have, do I have time to just touch on that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I'll keep this really brief, but I mean, I'm sure you consider, you consider Origina as a, as a, a trustworthy business. Yes. But if I, if you were to ask one of your yeah I hope so if you were to ask one of your clients your customers or even your employees define trust for us how do we know that we're trustworthy how does somebody actually get that feeling and measure our trustworthiness well there's a lovely equation out there and it's called the trust equation and it basically looks like a division and it's credibility plus reliability plus intimacy on the top line and that and then underneath the line it, the, the subdivider is self-orientation. And what that means is, if you are reliable, if you do what you say you're going to do on time, keep your promises, if you're credible in the eyes of the people you deal with, be they suppliers or customers, and if you are intimate, by which I mean, how do you treat things like personal information? How do you treat the private lives of your employees? How do you treat people? You then if you're doing all those things really well and scoring well, your trust quotient goes up exponentially. Where it starts to be eroded is the under, underneath bit, which is self-orientation, which is when somebody perceives Origina as being all about Origina. Hmm. So think, think mega vendor. Do, you know, their trust quotient, reliable, credible, intimate, probably not. Even if they think they are, they're not perceived as that because people will view them as being self-oriented. It's about them. Yeah. That's, why they're, that's why they're not trusted, because they don't work at the reliability, the credibility, and the intimacy. Yeah, there's some good tips there, Chris. And I think the, the one, I like your one about as well, I see a visibility of that kind of, that trust equation is important to, the, to, to particularly, the, I mean, the advice here actually you're giving is much more for the mega vendors, but actually, one piece of advice you gave, which was quite interesting, is if the customers can find a way, you mentioned that the kidnapper, if they apply a first aid to the, to the kidnappee, they, they, uh, they end up creating a situation where actually it's more difficult for the kidnapper then to, to be uh, more challenging. Perhaps what the, the licensee, which is the customer, customer in the software world, should try and get the licensor to do is provide some first aid in some shape or form. I mean, that might be in the form of assistance and help. And yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's something that both parties should, should, should consider. I, I wonder, though, I'm thinking of all of this, can, you know, given your background as well, Chris, not just in, in, in negotiations in, in these difficult situations, your, your background as a, as a risk manager in the corporate world, I mean, if you put your risk hat on and think about the risk from the mega vendor's perspective, this type of behavior... If you were sitting in a risk review session, I know perhaps the type of risk you're looking at might be slightly different, but this is this is very risky. And we talk about numbers earlier, and we and the reason we do it is to point out actually what they're doing is not helping 
their revenue is not helping their bottom bottom line in the long term. It may well be helping it today, but longer term, what they're doing is just they're eroding their their value because of that self orientation, because of that lack of trust. I mean, how would you, as a if you were a risk manager to the mega vendor, how, what would you say to them? I'd probably be setting up a pretty chunky committee that's called something like the Emerging Risks Committee and really be drilling into some of the consequences and doing some modelling around the consequences of where those actions are leading and what the possible end results are. Because I, I, I've been part of risk committees at a corporate level. And, and of course, the, one of the things there, Tomorris, is frame, frame of reference. The, the, the risks that are viewed as risks by the mega vendor, maybe probably are extremely different, probably polarized from the risks that they see uh, or the risk that the customer might see. So for me, that uh, are they taking a long enough, a long enough term approach to the risks that they are taking right now? Somebody somewhere must be deciding that they are. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I would be, I would be curious as to the extent to which they are looking at emerging risks given everything that's going on in the world, not just coronavirus, not just lockdown, but the risks of going on elsewhere in the world? Or are they looking at their risk in a very binary way and purely at bottom line over, you know, the traditional Q1 to Q4? I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's been, it's been interesting looking at the, you know, the big, the big companies. BP are being quite vocal at the moment around the, their direction of travel. You know, they're an oil company, but they're moving away from oil yeah. um, it, and being quite vocal about it as well. So, so there's an example of a massive organization demonstrating that looking at the risks in an environmental um, capacity and coming up with different ideas. So, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge question. I, I certainly I don't have any experience of IBM. I think, you know, they're your, they're your pet mega vendor, I think, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but I think what you're describing there is a lot, they need to be brave. And, and, and some yeah. of this from, from, the, from fear. And given the work that you do now, Chris, as you know, negotiations for you, as I know it's a consulting business you have with, with, your, with your business partners, how does all of this fit into that, that journey? And, and tell us like a little bit more about your, your business now that you've, you've, you've moved on to from, from some of these, obviously the work you did with the police and, 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 and more recently as a, on the risk management side. How is that all coming together? And tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, th thanks. Thanks, Tomorris. Well, what, what we're doing, we've recognized quite quickly that at least for the, you know, the short to medium term, but working practices have changed. And talk about being bold. I think we're being quite bold. We've moved everything online. We, we, have, the, we, we have a number of products that we are taking the, the techniques, the hints, the tips of international hostage negotiation, and we're taking them into the boardrooms and businesses and, and the, the shop floors of businesses. Productivity, I don't think, in certain sectors, is the issue. The, the proof of concept is kind of there. People can work remotely. Some, obviously, retail businesses, it's very difficult. But people can work remotely. But what about leadership and motivation remotely? What about development remotely for, for managers and leaders? How do you inspire people when traditionally we've seen them in their seats from nine till five? night owls of this i could recommend a great book it's called why we sleep by a guy called matthew walker and it's very interesting our sleep patterns affect our, our efficiencies night owls have been penalized for years because the working day is eight till five or something 
they don't work well until six in the evening until two in the morning you know this new working practice there's opportunities for people to be even better because of flexibility but i wonder how much trust there will be amongst people to allow those people to work so we have a number of products we look at decision making we look at leadership we look at crisis management effective communication empathy all the things all those human areas uh, and we're doing them online we're doing small bite-sized chunks of an hour and or two hours what we do team building on on uh, a zoom platform or something similar where five people in your team can play be be the negotiator in a siege situation and then we give them feedback about how they've performed and it's safe it's a bit of fun but with a serious developmental message so we are we're taking all this into businesses but into businesses online whereas previously we would go and do the traditional front loading in a in a room with powerpoint presentations we we've moved it all online and it's proving pretty popular we did lots of webinars after our radio work which were for, which were free because they were looking at conflicts in the home as a result of people being locked in together so we're, yeah that's that's where we're going leadership development better communication negotiation and mapping all the negotiation skills that we've used cross into life and business brilliant yeah and we'll put up your, your details on, on our website just uh, yeah that's kind we're going through um a bit of a transition because we are putting everything online so if I just add, I mean, we, we do have a vehicle on Facebook at the moment, which is Negotiation for You. It's the number four and the yeah. words Negotiation number for you. So currently we're, we're on Facebook and we're completely revamping our website, LinkedIn profile, because we're, we are marketing now as an online consultancy. And it's great. Brilliant. Brilliant. You're, piv you're, you're pivoting and pivoting. And, and I loved your use of the word words, inspiring people. I think that's something we, uh, we we could all do with. Listen, Chris, thank you very much. It's been fantastic to talk with you. You're very welcome. Thank you. And, and Brendan, we're we're coming to the end of the show. Very sad. Yeah. What, I mean, what what a, what a guest. What a great, very really interesting stuff. Um, definitely worth reading up on. And you know, it's it's hard to see how somebody couldn't do without learning a little bit about the complexities of building trust, rapport, relationships. So, yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah. And if I was ever kidnapped, actually, uh, I think I'd like, I'd like Chris to be the guy turning up outside, you know? Manager. Yeah. Brilliant. Listen, thank you very much. Thank you to you, Brandon. Thank you the most. That yeah, was very that enjoyable. Was very and good. we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. We'll be recording again next month, in the month of July, and we'll have a very special guest. And keep safe, everybody. Yeah. Stay away from the virus. Take care. Take care.